And we're back. You are listening to the Drew Marshall Show. It's our St. Patrick's Day special. What a show it's been. And it's been made quite fulfilling and, and, and lovely because John McCauley is here in the studio. John is a leadership expert guru, some might say. Uh, he is also the uh, big kahuna up at Muskoka Woods, which is a sports summer sports uh, camp and retreat center. Obviously, was it on Rosso? Is that what it's on? On Lake Rosso. Yeah. And are, you live beside Goldie Hawn, don't you? I think Goldie moved, actually, and oh. she lived beside me. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. I was at a, a, a TED talk or a TED convention thingy, the one at Long Beach a number of years ago. My attorney said, why don't you come uh, to the little pool party afterwards? And we went up to this rooftop, and I was I wasn't I just had normal duds on. And go to this little party and uh, walking around, and oh, there's Goldie Hawn. Oh, okay. And then there's this celebrity and that celebrity. It was ridiculous. Just ridiculous. Just thought I'd name drop. Let me Muskoka. Yeah. <laughs> That's just an everyday occurrence in Muskoka, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Reverend Ray Simpson is a renowned Celtic author. Describes himself as a Celtic new monastic for tomorrow's world. He is the founding guardian of the community of Aden and Hilda, a worldwide people who journey with God, reconnecting with the spirit and the scriptures, the saints and the streets the seasons and the soil through a way of life, a rhythm of prayer, and a network of soul friends. Isn't that a TV show? Oh, no, that was Soul Train. (laughs) Uh, He is the uh, principal tutor of its studies programs and founder of its Celtic Christian Studies Library and its retreat house called the Open Gate on Britain's holy island of Lindisfarne, where he lived for 22 years. There's so much more to chat about or to read about really when it comes to ray but we're just going to get to ray right now ray um do you i have you would not remember this but do you, i came over your neck of the woods for a little visit and we chatted in your place and what i remember about your your place is you had a lot of stuff i had a lot of stuff yeah what do you think did you have a lot of no you I, that's what i remember sitting in your place and i remember you just lived a very lovely simple you know, kind of life in, in this island with like, what, is there about 300 people there, Ray, on the island? No, there's, there's probably about 140 live there. 140. But but here's the thing. But there were, there, three there quarters were, of a million pilgrims come every year. How many pilgrims? Three quarters of a million. Oh, jumping. So is that why there's three pubs? At least three, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and three pubs, uh, two retreat houses... But people really come for the, the the beauty of the island and the sense that there's been prayer there for 2,000 years. So if I understand things right, and I, I probably don't, so I need your help correcting me on this, Ray. Um, Celtic Christianity was under some sort of attack by the Vikings because the Vikings knew that the churches had the goods and so they were raping and pillaging all the especially the churches and they would go in and steal everything and and destroy things and so the the the, uh, the Celtic Christians kind of went uh, along their way over to uh, uh, Iona and and hid there and, and then and that's where Christianity kind of took off again did I get any of that right not, not all of it. It was actually Iono that sent, uh, which was an Irish monk's center, and they sent uh, an Irish mission over to convert the original English speakers, the Saxons, and their base was the holy island of Lindisfarne, and it was a fantastic mission. But um, it is true that by the time the Vikings invaded, they had a few things worth stealing. I was at Iona. 
I don't remember how many years ago I was there, but that was the same time when I popped over to say good day to you. And I, I made the drive from Iona, which is on an island, which is an island off an island off an island. Is that right? That's right. Iona's on the western isle of Scotland, and Lindisfarne's the eastern tidal island in the east of England, just south of the border with Scotland. So a friend of mine and I, we drove the whole day, and then we stayed somewhere. Oh, I guess we stayed a night in Berwick-upon-Tweed. And then the next day we, we got up and we waited. We had to look online and figure out what the tide was. And then when the tide disappears, a road appears, and you drive across the road to Holy Island, and that's when you and I first met. And two things happened to me over there. One is I was far more enamored with Holy Island than I was with with uh, Iona. And I, I don't know why that is. Can you? What is the mystique about Holy Island? Well, they've each got their own mystique, and um, people have profound experiences in both places. But I, I do think that the Celtic uh, mission that was founded from uh, uh, Lindisfarne, uh, they, they, those Irish Christians were in love with Jesus in the Gospels, in the in creation, and. Uh, and they, and they had the sense that there were the three loves in the heart of God that was inside every human being. So they had this deep intuition which connected them to God in people, God in creation, God in the Gospels. And it was a kind of very holistic, very humble and unassuming. And I think people took them to their hearts and it sort of sank deep into the soil. And then you get something like, Oh, what people call it sanctity. That's why it began, some king of England said it should be called a holy island. Well, because a lot of people came as pilgrims to Aden's convert, Cuthbert, who became a, a national treasure, and uh, it was the most pilgrimed place in England for some time. Right, right. Can you help me understand, just the? let's go back to basics. I want to talk about St. Patrick, but I also want to talk about the word Celtic. and And over here... I think people associate the word Celtic with, first of all, music, and then they associate it with Ireland, um, and and then maybe Christianity. Uh, so can you can you put some more meat on those bones and help us understand what Celtic actually means? Yes, I think the early inhabitants uh, of Ireland and Britain, before the Saxons came, they didn't call themselves Celtic but the Roman writers call them Celts. And um, most people think of it as a family of languages. They define it by people who spoke a family of languages, which includes the so-called six Celtic nations, including Wales and Brittany and France. Um, and I think music and hospitality of the heart is one of the two of the characteristics. I think when the gospel came to Ireland, uh, one of the unique things was unlike the, the missions that have gone to indigenous peoples, European missions, who crushed the natural spirituality of the indigenous peoples, the, the apostles who brought the gospel to Ireland and to uh, ancient Britain, they didn't crush them. They, uh, they honored all that was good in them, and uh, they had a kind of synthesis, if you like, uh, which meant that people took the the people and the gospel deep into their hearts, into the kitchens. So it wasn't a kind of imposed by a hierarchy of the church. It was something that was deep in their own back garden. 
and I think Patrick, of course, he was he was a slave, a Brit who was captured by Irish pirates. I I often laugh because modern Irish people think the only imperialists were the English. Well, they're pretty awful imperialists. But before that, the Irish were actually imperialists and um, actually colonised parts of what's now Scotland. So Patrick was captured by Irish pirates and escaped. But he turned to God while he was a slave in Ireland. And when he when he got trained as a priest back in Britain, he had a vision. Instead of some nice bishop giving him a cushy parish somewhere in Britain near his parents, he had this vision that the Irish people wanted him to walk among them. And he spent the whole of the rest of his life walking among the people of Ireland. And he... he uh, captured their imagination and uh, warmed their hearts. And they ha he had to get hundreds and hundreds of people ordained as clergy to baptize them and teach them. And so the whole of Ireland became a land of saints and scholars in really a very few generations. It's an amazing story. Well, I want to I bring in John McCauley here because he's one of those Irish pirates you were talking about <laughs> earlier. It is true. We're very proud of our Irish pirates, Ray. <laughs> John, uh, this is Ray, Reverend Ray Simpson, the one and only renowned Celtic author. Yeah, Ray. I mean, I've heard hi, about John. you. I, hi, Ray. I've heard about you for years and years, and re you really are a renowned, uh, really spiritual guide to many people. One of the things that you talk about that I think St. Patrick celebrated and and practiced was this idea of what you called the villages of God. What, what do you mean by that, setting up these villages, and particularly because you say that is what is going to be most helpful to today's generation? Can you comment on that? Yes. In the time of Patrick, Ireland was a tribal society, and so many of the leaders of the different tribes were converted to follow Jesus that they said to the Christians, uh, set yourselves up, they gave, gave them prime estates, prime land. So they had seven days a week with daily prayer, and then they started schools for the first time for ordinary people. Then they, they had the hungry and the pilgrims needing to be fed, so they set up refectories, guest accommodation. Then, of course, they had to have more fields, and the schools started to copy the Gospels and beautifully illustrate them, so art developed and they developed libraries, um, fields with the cows and the farming. So basically, the whole, it was a village. The church was a village, seven days a week. Well, now, that, of course, is finished, and we're not a tribal society. We're globalized today. But because there's so much freedom, flexibility in the modern world, in terms of travel and the Internet and choices, um, there can be a flowing together of all sorts of facilities and networks so that instead of churches being a Sunday-only thing on the side, of, uh, on the margins of life, um, they once again begin to become hubs, not because uh, a tribal chieftain is saying this is what we're going to do, so it's got to sort of gradually evolve, but as people are catching the vision, like in the, in the USA, um, there's a guy called Paul Sparks, who's an independent evangelical, but he's just discovered the idea of the parish, and he's saying to people who go to gather churches miles from where they live, go and have your meals in the area and ask what's God doing in this place and start to invest yourselves in the area around where you go to church on a Sunday. So that kind of thing is developing, and um, 
some people find the the idea of the village of God inspiring, even if they're in a rural area. They start to do it on the internet. Who who does youth work? Who does old people's work? Who does soup kitchens? And how can we link together? But in in towns, it, things are beginning to grow. Uh, like as a church, a redundant church building, forty miles from here is taken over by a new group of Christians, and they've now got a community garden, a healing centre. Uh, art exhibitions, a cafe, and all that sort of thing is beginning to happen. So it's fair to say they're adding value to their world in all kinds of ways, and through that people are finding a connection back to God? Yeah, I think so, because people can be themselves. Um, I think that was the key with the early Celtic Christians. People could be themselves. They didn't have to become have, adopt a foreign culture to be a Christian or an old-fashioned culture to be a Christian. They could see Jesus inside their own natural patterns. And I think that's the challenge again today. Right. Chatting with uh, the one and only uh, Reverend Ray Simpson. He is, of course, a renowned Celtic author. By the way, how many books, Ray, have you you published uh, to date? Oh, about 35 or so. Yeah. John, how about you? How many books have you published? Two. You need to work harder at that. It's not the number of books, it's oh, the quality. All the right. Thank you, Ray. Yeah, well, that isn't, that isn't helping his case either. So, Okay, uh, Ray, I want to ask you, with all the spiritual stuff that you're involved with and, and, the, and the mentoring and, and uh, you take people on pilgrimages and, you, you know, you're really helping people kind of uh, fire up their spiritual life. I kind of go the other way with these sorts of conversations. What was your darkest time spiritually, Ray? I think my darkest time was when I realized that I was getting my well-being from what I was, what I was doing or what other people thought of me. And when you when things are stripped away, you you think there's nothing and you have to go back to like the early desert Christians and the early Celtic Christians tried to work every day on stripping their ego, the false ego, from away. And I've had to do that stuff, working on stripping away the false ego and finding that actually when you die to stuff you're attached to, it's the prelude to some new wonderful thing happening. Mm. Like it is in nature often when a seed goes and gets apparently died in the ground and then bursts into life. You know, I was, yeah, so, I, was so, I, I don't know, there's a part of me that was wondering if you were going to say, you know, when I lost so-and-so, or when somebody died, or when I had this sort of personal trauma, but you went right to the shattering of the ego. Well, but the, yes, well, the shattering of the false ego, yeah. Yeah, that's it. Right. I've, I've felt a lot of pain with, with uh, things not working out as I'd hoped, so your dreams, some of your dreams don't materialize, that sort of thing, or... A misrepresentation. That's all hard stuff. Yeah. Ray, um, I, I up next on the show is a lady named uh, Emer Burke. And Emer is a, a druid from Kilkenny. And, uh, oh, great. Also, now hold on. You just said, oh, great. Now, John is sitting here quaking in his boots. He's a little. I'm not, he's I'm a not little, quaking in my books. He's uh, a, I'm just excited that you're getting ready to talk about druidism. No, because, no, look. John is afraid of anything that's outside of his, his, his little Christian world. No, I'm not. Eh? His little bubble. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but druids, again, when you think of Celtic, that word Celtic, 
it, it associates in some people's minds with Druidism. And, and the Druids would, would certainly be ones who would say, oh, yes, we're part of the Celtic tradition. Do you think they would say that? Am I getting that wrong? What's the connection between no. Celtic and, and Druidism? Well, today there's a revival of interest in Celtic, uh, in pagan or Druid Celtic, uh, artistic Celtic, music Celtic, and Christian Celtic. So there are a whole lot of parallel or inter-weaving inter things. But I think that we need to uh, respect Druids. You know, St. Columba, who founded Iona, he said, I, Christ is my Druid, which tells you he had a great respect for Druids, but he had an even greater respect for Christ. That's interesting. So he, he wasn't, put, he wasn't uh, damning everything about the Druids. I'm actually writing that down. Christ is my Druid. I'm going to get yeah. that tattooed. <laughs> <laughs> so when, if I'm with a druid, I mean, there are different orders of druids around. I want to learn from them wisdom, but I would sift it because I, I, um, Christ is my druid, if you want to put it that way. Can, uh, can someone be a Christian and a druid, according to you? Well, in Brittany, I met uh, a guy who told me he was a Druid and a member of the Orthodox Church. But mo in England, most of the Druids are not Christian because they link Christianity with the imperialistic Church of yes. the West. Yeah. See, and they want to be free from that. Yeah, my, my, um, my impression of, of the Druids that I have had dinner with, I've stayed at a Druid retreat center just north of Glastonbury, and... and um, First of all, every Druid I've ever met, they're tired of this, you know, well, they're sort of tired. They, they're tired of this uh, this uh, image that people give them of, ooh, Druid or whatever. They're just normal schmoes like you and me, so let's get that out of the way. But, and, I, and I've asked a number of pagans this question. This is going to sound really judgmental, and I'll ask our next guest this question, uh, Emer Burke. She's a Druid from Kilkenny. Every pagan I've asked this question, I said something like, it seems to me that every pagan that I've come across is somebody who, the reason they believe this is because they're trying to get a little power back in their life. They're trying to get a little comeuppance on the world that has put them down over the years. In other words, and this is harsh, like I've been criticized for this, but I'm going to say it again. It's like the nerds in school who are now finally ruling the world from behind their computers. They're getting their power back. Uh is that, well, first of all, does that sound horrifically judgmental to you, Ray, or do you understand what I'm talking about? Well, I think it's a generalization. It may <laughs> a little be true bit, of yeah. Some and not of others. <laughs> and if you look at uh, certain, if you look at we Christians, uh, could you say that's not equally true of quite a lot? Ooh, that's well said. Ooh. Yeah. Okay, I'll shut up now. <laughs> well, that'll be a miracle. Oh, jeez. Your, your ego hasn't been stripped enough for you to be quiet. No, 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 not at all. But I met a druid. I, well, I she was certainly a wise woman. I think she was a druid at Glastonbury by chance and thought, um, she's a pagan. I'll never hear from her again. She lives in America. And I got, I was in a really bad place, in, in place of pain and putting myself down, and I got an email from her, and I still don't know how she got my email, and she had intuited, the other side of the pond, something that I, I was going through some trial, and, and she emailed me saying, uh, take time to love and nourish yourself as well as others. 
And I thought, wow, that wise woman has picked up something at a really deep level and communicated it. Mm-hmm. So, so I couldn't say I, I, I couldn't uh, write off all druids. As, no, um, no, not no. Worth listening to. No, no. And I'm certainly, I, I certainly didn't mean to, to say that or communicate that. I hope no one heard that. What I, what I was really getting from the pagans, only the pagans I've talked to, is that you know one of the reasons they're 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 into it. Because why does it? Why does anybody get into any tribe? Uh, there's community. There's there's acceptance, uh, love, belonging, belonging. Of course, you know we learned that from Cheers a long time ago, where everyone knows your name. Um, but I think a lot of a lot of pagans are into it because they hate the anti-environmentalism of uh, Western globalism sure. and its leadership, political leadership, and the patriarchy and, uh, behind all of that. And the patriarchy, including in the church, sometimes often, yes. but not always. Yeah, yeah. And so they they're trying. They're spiritual people, and they're trying to get in touch with spiritual energies that are not in false containers. Yeah. And I respect that. But what my message is, you know, there is a, a, a dimension of Christianity that is not actually imprisoned in false containers. And that's why I like to tell them about the Celtic uh, Christian spirituality. I, I love how you um, have worked or figured out the Jesus stuff. I, again, I'm not quite sure I worded that the way I wanted to, but uh, I've struggled with it for a long, long time. But, you know, when I when I first had that sit-down conversation with you on Holy Island a number of years ago, I don't know, man, there was, there was just something about the island, something about your space, something about Aiden and Hilda that just allowed my soul to decompress. So, Ray, thank you for, for what you've done for so many years. Thank you. Thank you. Ray Simpson on the Drew Marshall Show. Uh, Ray, we'll speak again another time soon, I hope. Thank you. Thank you. Hope so. Bye. 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 Bye.